This morning we are looking at Acts 19, 8 through 20. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that every even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul teaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. The number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Let me take you to 1815 and the Battle of Waterloo. England and the Allies against Napoleon and the great French army as Napoleon was conquering the world. There was an incredible tension that was going on in England. They were waiting for word for the outcome of the battle at Waterloo. And as they waited, finally the signal came, the light that was passed tower to tower, got all the way to Winchester Cathedral, letter by letter, as they wondered if Wellington had defeated Napoleon. Because if he couldn't, England was going to be in great trouble for the future. And here came the letters with the light. W.E. Wellington. D-E-F-E-A-T-E-D. Wellington defeated. No more light signal was coming, and actually a great dark fog had come over the land, and there was no more transmission. And word won out in England, Wellington defeated. 
Wellington defeated. And there was great despair in England. But then the sun started to break through, and the fog lifted, and there was more signal that came through. Wellington defeated the enemy. Wellington defeated the enemy. And there was great rejoicing in the land. Wellington had won this incredible battle with the Allies. Napoleon was crushed. That was what, which was in despair now was given freedom and newness of life. A great battle. Wellington and the Allies were greatly outnumbered. Napoleon was a strong army with the French. We as followers of Jesus Christ are in a great battle. We're in a great spiritual battle for the souls of men, for our souls, for, for the life of people. We're in a battle. And it feels like we're outnumbered. It feels like we're losing, that we're defeated. But we have a great enemy, Satan, and we're in a battle against him and his dominion. And right in the middle of feeling defeated as followers of Jesus Christ, as Jesus was placed on the cross and the signal won out, Christ defeated. But then three days later, light broke. The dark fog lifted. And the signal went out with the truth. Christ defeated the enemy. Christ defeated the enemy. Christ rose again. Christ now is life and offers us hope and salvation as we believe in the Son, Jesus. The enemy has been defeated, and because of that, we have a great hope. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has conquered sin and death. The light signal keeps going out. Jesus will return. And he will return King of Kings. He will return Lord of Lords. He will return in full power and authority. That's who our Jesus is. Amen. Amen. But until then, until that day, we are in a great battle with our spiritual enemy. And we assault the darkness with the light of Christ. With his light and his life and his hope and his salvation. How do we fight the enemy? With the light of Christ. And we are, dear saints, light and salt in this world. And may our light go out. May we reflect the glory of God, his light reflected into this dark world. Let's pray for that this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and give you praise and glory and honor. You defeated the enemy on the cross. You crushed 
sin and death. And you rose again and you offer life to each and every one of us who would believe upon you. Do that work in the hearts this morning that don't know you. May they know that you love them so much. God the Father, that you love them so much that you sent your son Jesus for them to be the one who would pay the price for our sin. By your blood we have been washed clean. Father, we want to join you, your kingdom, in this battle against the enemy, against darkness, so that we may bring your light and your life and your salvation that you desire for all into this world. Hope in you, Jesus. Would you use us in the middle of that? Would you empower us? Would you give us courage? Give us strength to fight this battle. In your precious name, amen. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And we join him in this battle. Paul and the Christians in Ephesus were in the middle of a great spiritual battle. It was a city that was dark, dark, dark as they were fighting against those in Ephesus. Ephesus was known, I want to show you a few pictures of, this is modern day Ephesus. When you go to Ephesus today, there's still some remnants there. This is one of the, the libraries there that was there. And, and as you walk the city, the incredible remains, ruins of Ephesus in the city. But it was a dark, dark city. It was the treasure house of Asia, very influential. It was the site of the Temple of Artemis, or Diana, as Jackson talked about uh, last week in Corinth. This is the temple to Artemis. It was an amazing temple. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It had 127 marble pillars that went 60 feet high. In the center of it was the statue of Artemis, this fertility goddess who was said she came from the stars. And everybody went to worship there in the center of Ephesus, one of the most influential cities at the time. If you've been to Greece and you've visited the Parthenon, which is an amazing, an amazing temple there, and you go, wow, this is incredible. The Parthenon fits in just a quarter of this temple of Artemis. It is just tiny compared to the worship that took place here in this incredible place. It was 425 feet long. It was 200 feet wide. This temple was the center of the fertility goddess of Artemis and a fertility cult. There was known in this time of the Ephesian inscriptions. These were little pieces of paper that you would buy, that you would purchase. And on these pieces of paper, there would be little uh, incantations or spells that you would write down on these paper. And then you would stick them in an amulet or something that you could wear on your body. There was lots of demonic practice that was taking place in Ephesus. Dark, dark, dark city. The Ephesians and Ephesus was a watering hole for every magician and witch and clairvoyant, every murderer, every criminal that there was. This was the place to be. Kent Hughes says this, 
the city was the dark castle of Asia Minor. It needed to be stormed. Yet in the middle of this sex-crazed, Satan-controlled, super-religious city, Paul came on his third missionary journey to preach the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be chained to that darkness and that sin. You can be freed from this. He came to this place, this incredible temple, with everybody entering into the fertility cult. And here's this small band of Christians going, how do we live in this dark culture? And Paul's going to help them. And they're going to fight this battle. He explains to the people in Ephesus that we are in a spiritual battle. You know, sometimes I think, I think we sort of forget that, or our eyes are a little blurry to that. We are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord, Paul is saying to the Ephesians, and in the strength of his might. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. He is our enemy. Darkness, death. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And from Ephesus, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he says, I want you to understand something. The battle that we fight, we don't fight with things of this world. We fight with spiritual weapons that are contrary to the weapons of the world. But these weapons of God, they have divine power, 2 Corinthians 10, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, fortresses, those things that are weighing us down that Julie was saying, there's things that are weighing us down, let us surrender those to God. Jesus, the light, will free us. Because of his death on the cross, he has defeated the enemy. He has defeated sin. And when we follow him, he gives us new life. We are transformed. We don't have to stay stuck in our despair and our hopelessness. And so we battle darkness with an assault of light. And the light of the word expands the church. Let's look at this in verse 8. How does Paul and the early Christians in Ephesus, how do they assault the darkness? With the light of the word. With the light of the scriptures. Paul entered the synagogue, verse 8, and he spoke boldly with great courage. A lot of times we need that, don't we? Always ask the Lord in your workplace, wherever you're at, with people who don't know the Lord, with people who are antagonistic against Christianity, God, give me boldness. Because quite honestly, I'm afraid right now. I don't know what to say. I don't have the courage to do it. Ask God for courage. He'll give you the words. He'll give you the courage. He spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Every Sabbath... For three months, Paul was in the synagogue. He was welcome there in Ephesus. When he came through before, he told them, listen, I'm coming back. And he did. And they wanted to hear from him. 
And so you have to understand something. He went into the synagogue, and it wasn't right away they were like, oh, get out of here. They were like, no, we want to hear what you have to say. And so he continued to speak boldly. And I love the way and I love the wording that's used here. Some of our scriptures say he was arguing, and you get this idea that there was this big fight and verbal you know, battle going on back and forth. But the scriptures are he was, he was reasoning. He was reasoning with them. Dealing with their intellect. They knew the scriptures. And so he would take the scriptures, the Old Testament, and he would point to everything that spoke about Jesus and his coming and who he was. He's assaulting the darkness with light of the word. And he brought this in, and and he's taking three months to do this. Tim Keller has a a book out he's had out for a while. It's it's The Reason for God, or um, I think the new one is The Meaning, or the... um, there's a new title for it, but it's an apologetic. It's an apologetic about how to, to speak forth about who God is and what he's all about. And he's, he's a pastor in New York City and all these intellectuals that come through. It's like, we need to explain clearly who Christ is. We need to reason with people and help them understand. You need to know your audience. And so he reasoned with them. And he started to share with them. And he was trying to persuade them, trying to win favor from them, helping them to move into a people who would understand who Jesus was, that he is the long-awaited Messiah. But verse 9 says, Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe. And they publicly maligned the way. They started to curse him, revile him. And they spoke against the people of the way. Hodas. The way, it's, it's, it means the road or the pathway. It was a name for the early Christians before they were called Christians in Antioch. They were called the way. And Jesus very clearly said in John fourteen six, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father, into relationship with the Father, except through me. And that can happen because I died on the cross for your sin. And I rose again. And I am the way. Believe upon me, and you enter into relationship with my Father as well. I am the way. They became obstinate. They became hard-hearted and had unbelief. They weren't being persuaded. Their hearts were getting harder and harder and harder. And they started to kick him out. Paul, no more of this. Why did they respond in such a radical way? First they're, first they're saying, welcome, come teach us. And now three months later, it's get out of here. And we're really coming against the truth that you're teaching us. Why is it so radical? Well, I think they're, they're living a life that is, that is so caught up in, hey, this is what it looks like to follow God. I have all the rules. I'm doing this properly. And when I do this, then I'm okay with God. And he's starting to say, no, you know what? We're all sinners in need of a Savior. All those things that you're following, it still doesn't wash away all your sin. The way that you've been trying to do faith and trying to please God, he said, it pleases me now when you believe in my son Jesus. And it's only through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you that you are ultimately forgiven. 
You can't do enough sacrifice. Can't do enough good things. That was so radical for them. Also, he was including all of these Jews into the whole realm with the Gentiles. We're all the same. We're all sinners. Can you imagine what a ruffle that was for them? Wait a second. We're kind of superior. We're Jews. We're God's chosen people. No, no, no. You're sinners like everybody else. How dare you? And then I think ultimately there were some of the leaders in the synagogue who were saying, you know what? Uh, If we're going to go this path, guess what? We're basically not even going to have a job. Our religious leadership, it's not going to exist. We're not going to lose that. And we're not going to lose our authority. And we don't want to lose who we are as Jews and we're superior to others. We're closer to God. And so he got kicked out. And he left. I'm not going to throw pearls before swine anymore. I'm going to move on down the road. And so he went to Tyrannus' place. Literally means the tyrant's house. He went to the tyrant's house, which was a school of philosophy. And he was there for two years. Two years having conversations about the word of God. About who Jesus was. You've got to understand that's amazing about this. He met during the hours in this place from 11 o'clock until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. In Ephesus, the working class, they would work from 7 in the morning until 11. And then they would go home and have a siesta and just be with the family from 11 until 4. It was siesta time. And it was hot. So they'd go and rest. Then, from 4 o'clock till about 10, they would open up shop again. It was during those hours, every day, six days a week, catch this, six days a week, for five hours a day, Paul is teaching, and the light of the word is penetrating darkness. And he's making disciples as he's teaching. And he's in this house, 7 to 11, and he's one who is tent-making at the same time. Early in the morning, he's making tents. He's working hard. Paul was devoted to the gospel. And the thing is, the gospel, the word of God, not just the simple gospel about what Jesus did, but who Jesus is and how to live in obedience to him. How to be followers of Jesus Christ. The gospel was attractive to people in the community. And they were coming to be trained and listen. Many were starting to come and have a faith in Jesus Christ and be trained up in Jesus. Five hours a day, six days a week, 52 weeks a year. That's 3,120 hours talking about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I don't want to hear any more complaints that we went five minutes over on a Sunday morning. All right? Where's your dedication, people? He taught, he taught, he taught, training up in the Word of God. You know, it was a conviction for me, and just thinking through a couple things. One, who am I training up in the Word of God? Not just on Sunday mornings, but like who am I walking with in life that I'm training up in the Word of God? Because it's light. It's living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It changes people's hearts. People are coming to follow Jesus Christ because his word is penetrating their souls. 
Who are you walking alongside with and training them up in the Word of God? I just want to ask you as a body, be praying about that. Lord, put someone in my heart that maybe I can just walk through life, make a disciple of as we share life together. The other thing I was convicted about was Paul was so dedicated, his use of time, he was sold out for the kingdom of God. Sold out. Everything they were doing, all of his time was about the kingdom. And when he wasn't teaching about the word of God, he was, he was trying to, to make tents, make a living, because he didn't want to be a burden upon the people. And he didn't want people to think he's, he's doing his teaching to make money. He didn't want anything to get in the way. His time was sold out for Jesus. You know, we only get so many years on this planet. How are you using your time? Truly. That's what I was convicted of. It's okay to rest. It's okay to to have vacation and do some nice things with your time. But are you intentional with your time? Are you stretching yourself on, really, it's sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice my time to go visit this person who's hurting. And I'm going to sacrifice my time to go meet with this person and talk about the word. Guess what? It's not your time. You are no longer your own. You're bought with a price. We belong to Jesus. What are we doing with our time? Paul was devoted. Devoted. And see, as he was teaching, the light of the word was penetrating heart. People in the synagogue were coming to believe in Jesus. And people in the community were coming to believe in Jesus. And they were going out. And what was happening, it was going all over the place. All in Asia Minor were hearing the gospel. Why? Because as he trained, guess what? They went out and they shared the gospel. We think this is where Laodicea, Thyatira, Colossae, all these churches started up from those saints being taught in the house of the tyrant. Isn't that beautiful? This is how we fight darkness, with an assault of light. Darkness is dispelled through the power of the Holy Spirit. God did, verse 11, extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. The Holy Spirit is moving. Jackson taught us last week that Paul came in and there was 12 who had not received the Holy Spirit and they received the Holy Spirit and started to prophesy and now their new life filled with the Spirit, was starting to move into the community to spell darkness. Holy Spirit was moving powerfully. It's the only way anything gets accomplished, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not through us. That's New Covenant living, right? New Covenant living says, it's not anything from me. It's all from God. I'm just a vessel so that His light would shine through this broken pot and He would be glorified. The power of the Holy Spirit is moving, so much so that even even his his work clothing, so it was, the handkerchief is actually the headband that you wear around your head to cover the sweat. And then his apron was that that he had for his tool belt. So people were grabbing these things. Again, you know what, they lived in a superstitious society. So I I don't fault them for thinking, oh, maybe some superstition. But it was... It was the Holy Spirit who was moving. And what was happening is, as they realized the connection of Paul was to Jesus, 
And as these things were being touched by people, and God was using that item filled with the power to actually heal people and to cast out demons, darkness is being dispelled through the power of God. Does it say Paul did these works? It says God did these miracles. God did these miracles. Paul was just the vessel. And then he used these tools, these sweat bands, to be the the source of touching. That's how powerful God is. How his Holy Spirit can work. They were extraordinary miracles, and the scriptures are really clear. This wasn't a normal miracle. It was extraordinary for a special moment in a culture that was just consumed with darkness. How do we assault the darkness? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and being available for him to use us. That's the thing. See, Paul was used of God. You and I, God wants to use us for his kingdom to go into battle, to join him in the battle against darkness while we live on this planet. How does God want to use you? Do you even ask him? God, use me. There's so much darkness around me. How do you want to use me to dispel this darkness? I need you to fill me full of your Holy Spirit, to touch me with your life. He did extraordinary miracles, not normal at all. And evil spirits, again, were were being cast out, and the Lord is doing a great work. What light does is it penetrates the darkness through the Word. The Holy Spirit is doing His work. It exposes that which is false. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, verse 13, and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Light exposes that which is false. This section to me just reminds me of trying to live secondhand Jesus. Trying to live secondhand Jesus. Sort of saying, well, you know what, I'm sort of connected with Jesus. I know Paul. Yeah, yeah, I'm with, I'm with Jesus and Paul. I think too often, throughout our spiritual journey, sometimes as we grow up, we're living secondhand Jesus. Well, my family went to church. They were connected. I've gone to a couple Christian concerts. But do you really know Jesus? Is he the center of your life? Is he your Lord and Savior? You see, they were trying to cast out demons in the, in the name of Jesus. They thought it was some sort of magic, some sort of rabbit's foot. They wanted to make more money than what was going on. And what happens is that as they're doing this, they're invoking the name of Jesus, which is a powerful name. And they're trying to, to hide. John 14, 14 says, If you ask anything in my name, as followers of Jesus Christ, when you ask in my name, which means my authority, my power, and it's asked with a heart that is for me and for my kingdom, guess what? I'm going to do that. It's in my will. I'm going to do it. Ask in my name with my power. Ambassadors don't go to a country and say, It's all about me. 
No, they say, I'm reflecting, I'm here because of Jesus Christ. The ambassador is saying, I'm here because I'm, I'm a representative of the United States of America, President of the United States. They're living secondhand Jesus. And these seven sons of Sceva, verse 14, they're doing all these practices and they're starting to get exposed. I love this scene. Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who in the heck are you? I have no idea who you are. And isn't it amazing that they know Paul? You know what that says to me? Paul's name was known in hell. Paul's name was known in hell. Hey, this guy's a threat. They knew about him and the work for the kingdom of Christ. They definitely knew about Jesus. I know them. I have no idea who you are. We think we're doing godly things, living godly lives. But do we really know Jesus? In the end times, we're going to come to Jesus, it says, and say, but we cast out demons in your name. And what's he going to say? I don't know who you are. You must have been living secondhand Jesus. You must have been pretending to be a Christ follower. You never surrendered your heart unto me. You were living for self. You were living in the shadows. You were living in darkness. Do you really know Jesus? Jesus ends up being glorified in the middle of this great story. It's a reversal of what takes place. And all of a sudden, because the enemy doesn't know these people, the enemy comes upon them and beats them to heck and sends them out naked and running. They're traumatized, the Greek says. They're traumatized. You see, the power of God, the light of God, exposes what is fake. And I want to ask you this morning before your Lord to say, Lord, reveal me. Open my eyes to who I really am. Have I just been living secondhand Jesus? Have I just been coming to church just to come to church? Lord, reveal in me who I am. I don't want to be one who comes to you in the end and you say you don't know me. The light exposes that which is fake and which is hidden. And this is the last thing I want to talk about, and then we're going to go into communion this morning. The light started to reveal what was hidden in the heart. Look at verse 18. This is beautiful. God's doing a work through the power of the Holy Spirit, penetrating light into the darkness. And many of those who believed, look what the response is. They now came and openly confessed what they had done. The Holy Spirit was dealing with their hearts. He wants to do that with each of us. The Holy Spirit is dealing with their hearts. They were tainted by a dark culture. And you know what? A lot of times when you're surrounded by a dark, dark culture, you start to go, well, I don't know if that's really so sinful. Is that really wrong? Look at my whole culture. Compared to my whole culture, not so bad. You're getting tainted by a dark culture. Sin actually does have an incredible hold on you. But they started to realize, oh my goodness, I need to confess how I have sinned against the Lord. Will you do that? Will you confess how you've sinned against the Lord?
and repent, look what happens. And those who practice sorcery brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of all that, it was 50,000 drachma, thousands and thousands of dollars today. They said, I no longer want to hold on to these things. I'm holding on tightly. This is where I get my life. This is where I get my, my sustenance. This is where I get my value. This is my idol. They said, no, we're going to take this, which is at great cost, and we're going to throw it in the fire, and we're going to let it burn. And now we're going to come before Jesus and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Transform me. Give me new life. And I'm going to trust God to lead me out of this dark pit that I've been in. And you are set free indeed. We are enslaved to sin, and we can be set free. What is it that we need to burn in the fire? What is it that we're holding on to, this sin that so easily entangles? What are we not turning over to God and say, God, help us in this? You know, cable channels, these certain cable channels, they're not that bad. But it's, I'm addicted to it. Just one more glass of wine, not that bad. What do you need to turn over? that's got you a hold on you. Just that click of that button entering into the internet. God's saying, turn it over to me and be free. And be free. The outcome of all this, when light penetrates darkness, is the word of God grew in power and strength and expanded all throughout the cities of Asia Minor. And God was glorified. And people were set free. Let's pray. Father, may there be an assault on darkness. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you use us to break forth and to break through into this dark world, that your word would penetrate, that your Holy Spirit would would dispel the darkness, that you would give freedom to those who are enslaved. Father, do your work. Would you be glorified? And be glorified through us, Father. We want to be used of you. And Father, I pray right now as we have communion that you will deal with our hearts. We want to confess to you that we have sinned against you. Father, thank you for cleansing us and forgiving our sin. For washing us clean and giving us new life. In your beautiful and precious name, amen.